Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. If you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. We've got a powerful guest lined up for you this week. It's Greg Maffei. He is the president and CEO of Liberty Media. He's the chairman of Live Nation Entertainment, Sirius XM, and TripAdvisor. He's the chairman emeritus of Stars and Expedia. He's also the former CFO of Oracle and Microsoft. Liberty Media Corporation operates and owns interest in a broad range of media communications and entertainment businesses, including SiriusXM, F1, Live Nation, and the Atlanta Braves. Greg gives us a preview of the upcoming Las Vegas Grand Prix, which takes place in the streets of Las Vegas in November. We're also going to talk about the Braves splitting off from Liberty Media and how that will work. And just some really good insight from one of the most powerful CEOs on the planet. Uh, We talk about Live Nation and the return of live events after the pandemic. So an insightful conversation from one of the most powerful media CEOs in the world on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good. And Greg is uh, uh, a knowledge, uh, what do you call it, the knowledge king on F1 and all things Live Nation. I tell you, I learned a lot about the Vegas Grand Prix. I mean, there's so much going on. And uh, you mentioned the interview about how we have Peter on, Peter O'Reilly for the Super Bowl. Same kind of thing. Like this guy, Greg knows everything, the behind the scenes and how much effort is has gone into this F1. So it's, it's a fascinating interview. And he is involved in so many things, so it was fun to learn about Live Nation and the stuff he works with. So good interview with Greg. We've had a lot of CEOs on over the years on Sports Business Radio. Greg's resume compares with anyone. Yeah. He has a broad resume, as I just mentioned. And like you said, um, F1 in Las Vegas, November 16 to 18. And Griggs, this will be the first time that the Vegas Strip it shut down for six hours at a time. Crazy. I mean, if you've ever been to Las Vegas and you've seen how busy mm-hmm. the strip is, imagine shutting that thing down for <laughs> six hours. You and I are going to Vegas uh, next month. We'll announce our roadshow guests soon. But, uh, you know, I've been there recently and they're redoing all the streets around where the race course is going to be. They're building a paddock. You'll hear Greg talk about that. But, I mean... They're putting approximately, I think it's $600 million into 
this race. And, you know, they're not just looking at this year. They're looking at future years as well. But uh, they're transforming downtown Las Vegas and the Strip. And it's going to be quite a spectacle. And, uh, you know, he'll tell us more about it during this conversation. Yeah, no, I think uh, Vegas is going to be changed for this. And F1 is a growing sport. People are watching it more. Uh, it's just becoming more popular. I think he said there's 100,000 seats at the Vegas uh, Grand Prix, which is crazy. I mean, you think about Vegas and where that, that's going to be positioned and how it's all set up. So, yeah, it's going to be a spectacle and fun to watch. And you got the sphere there now. Vegas is just on fire with sports and just the world of entertainment as it always is, but it continues to grow. So uh, looking forward to uh, seeing how F1 looks in Vegas. Yeah. All right. Before we get to the conversation with Greg Maffei, let's look at a few sports business headlines. Uh, the top one, Women's World Cup is now complete. Spain beat England in the final. Griggs, uh, the Women's World Cup generated $570 million. So that's great for them. Um, as far as viewing audience, we don't have the numbers in from Fox yet for the U.S. audience, but 12 million viewers watched England versus Spain, the World Cup final on BBC it was the second most watched BBC TV event of the year after the coronation of mm. the king. So when you are in that kind of uh, viewership audience, that's a big, big audience. And, you know, we know in Australia, uh, I think nine out of 10 TVs in the country were tuned in to watch Australia in the final four of Women's World Cup. So Australia was very excited about the Matildas. They didn't get to the championship, but they had a great run. Um, Australia was a great host of Women's World Cup. Everything went very smoothly. Um, all the reviews were very positive. We didn't hear of any hiccups or bumps in the road. So all in all, a successful Women's World Cup. I know a lot of people uh, might have lost a little bit of interest, especially in the U.S. after the U.S. Women's National Team bowed out. The other challenge, Griggs, is the time difference between the U.S. and Australia. So if you wanted to watch some of these games live, you know, where we are on the West Coast, you're getting up at two in the morning. Yeah. On the East Coast, you're getting up at five in the morning. So that didn't help with U.S. TV numbers. But still, overall, this is being deemed a big success. Yeah, I watched a lot of the matches and it was fun having Australia in the final four. Always fun when the host nation has a team in it. So the crowd was great for that. But uh you know, Spain's first ever Women's World Cup, so that's always exciting, and uh, they were pumped up, and uh, yeah, it was fun. I think uh, the, the crowds were good, the the coverage was good, the stadiums looked great, Australia was a great host, like you mentioned, so uh, always fun to have World Cup. I'm always tuning in, men's and women's, it's just a fun, kind of, a, kind of an Olympic-type uh, event, so it's fun to watch. All right, on Saturday night, I decided I was going to sit in front of my TV, and I was going to watch... Apple TV's coverage of Major League Soccer. I've yet to do that. And I was like, you know what? What better match to do that for than the League's Cup final between Inter-Miami and Lionel Messi and Nashville SC. And I was in Nashville earlier this year. I saw their stadium. It's beautiful. Um, they've really embraced soccer in Nashville. Um, if you're a casual fan, you might not know that Giannis is a, a minor investor in Nashville SC. So he was there. Uh, Reese Witherspoon was there. But Lionel Messi brings out all of the stars when he plays. And he's never really played in the U.S. on a consistent basis. So 
you know, everyone wants to go see Messi play. And Griggs, what a thrilling match it was. It came down to PKs. It came down to the goalies in PKs. So the goalies matched up against each other. Miami's goalie scored on Nashville's goalie, but Nashville's goalie couldn't score on Miami's goalie. So the match was over. Inter-Miami won. And you may look at this and go, okay, big deal. Let me explain to you what's basically happened if you haven't been paying attention to to Messi since he arrived in Major League Soccer. Inter-Miami was essentially the bad news bears. They were the worst team in Major League Soccer by a long shot. They couldn't score goals. They couldn't win matches. Their culture was that of losing. They were the worst team by a long shot. This would be like taking Michael Jordan and putting him on the Bad News Bears, and then the Bad News Bears win it all. This was a 47-team tournament, and Inter-Miami won the tournament, and Messi has scored a goal in every match. What he just did, I don't know that people fully appreciate. Again, you go to the worst team in a league, And you make them the champion as soon as you arrive. There's no like, oh, let's ramp this up and it's going to take half a season to gel and build chemistry and, you know, get into the playoffs. No, immediately upon his arrival, he not only impacted the games, but he elevated the play of his teammates. And I loved at the end of the match, he took his captain's band and he gave it to the player who was the captain before he arrived and he just does little things like that like a lot of players are great but they don't elevate their teammates they don't immediately instill confidence and a winning culture in the organization he's come in and from the beginning it's like inner miami just says we're never gonna lose with (laughs) Messi on our team and i don't care how bad we've been we could be the bad news bears and we're still gonna win because we've got Messi. i mean To me, one of the the great reactions is you see David Beckham, who is a legend in his own right. And this guy, when he watches Messi, it looks like even he is astonished by what he sees from Messi. And again, audience, in these matches, this is Major League Soccer, so they know Messi's the best player on the field. They're putting five players on Messi at a time. This guy barely has room to breathe. And he gets little flashes of daylight when he gets the ball. And in like five seconds, he turns it into a goal. He can hit any angle. He can take any shot. He's so fast when he shoots his goals and gets his spot to daylight where he can get a shot off. It is really remarkable. I mean, I am not a huge soccer follower, but I have never seen anything like this other than Pele. Yeah. Pele was amazing back in the 70s. His bicycle kicks and goals and, you know, what Pele did when he came over from Brazil to the New York Cosmos, very similar, right? He walks onto the pitch and you're automatically like, all right, this guy, (laughs) it looks like men and boys out there. It's the same thing with Messi. Let me give you some other numbers on Messi's impact. Apple MLS season pass, it's doubled its subscriptions since Messi arrived. And it's not like Messi's been here for a year. 
we're talking like a month and a half. They've doubled. And, and someone like me, I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't probably watch MLS on Apple, but I did because Messi was playing. And I thought the coverage was excellent, by the way. The graphics, the announcers, the camera angles, the drama of the PKs. I thought it was very well produced. And I'll get to that in a minute. Resale ticket prices have jumped as much as 1,700%. He's going to be playing in New York on Saturday, Griggs. There are tickets that are going for $20,000 a ticket Wow! to go see Messi. His jersey is the top-selling jersey in all of sports on Fanatics. So we're talking NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, any sport that Fanatics is selling a jersey for, Messi has the top-selling jersey. Inter-Miami's Instagram account has more followers than any team in the NFL (laughs) or Major League Baseball. So you look at his impact on the pitch, like I just talked about, taking the Bad News Bears to MLS League's Cup title, and... Now what he's doing off the pitch and what he means to the business of Major League Soccer, this is incredible. I mean, we talk about how LeBron, Michael Jordan, you know, icons like that, when they get traded, when they go join another organization, it's like a merger of companies. This isn't just a player acquisition. This is a brand and a company and a big merger. You're bringing lots of followers with you. Um, It's a huge business. What we're seeing with Messi might be as big as anything we've ever seen. And again, the thing about soccer is it's a global sport. So people all over the world, Messi could walk into a, a mud hut in South Africa and people are going to go, oh my God, it's, it's Lionel Messi. Like they recognize him all across the globe. And what we're seeing with what he's doing to the business of MLS, it is fast-tracking it quickly to becoming one of the more relevant leagues, not only in the United States, but in the world. And it's must-see TV when he's on the pit. And again, Apple is benefiting from this. And this is looking, at first I was like, wow, what a great deal for Messi. I'm now like, what a great deal for MLS and for Apple. Like, this is fast-tracking everything for them. And The last thing I'll say is this. There's a lot of rumors going on right now that Apple may buy ESPN at some point and really fast-track themselves into sports. Based on what I saw of the coverage of MLS, I think Apple does a really good job with sports coverage. And I'm going to say I was a little bit surprised with how good it was. The picture, totally clean. The announcers, excellent. The graphics, really good. Um, you know, they got all the big moments like the PKs. And if you buy ESPN, obviously that comes with so many rights to NBA, NFL. There's going to be ESPN has two Super Bowls coming in the next rotation. So you automatically get that. The more and more I think about it, I mean, like people have said, Apple can find the money to buy ESPN in their couch cushions. I mean, this is Apple's a trillion dollar company. They can buy ESPN and and not even feel it. And the more I look at this, the more I think that might be the business model and it would be the best thing for Apple and the best thing for ESPN. So Griggs, I know I just said a lot there, but uh, wow, Messi is the real deal. 
You know, he is. I, I have a few friends uh, that aren't big soccer fans. And I said, watch a Messi match. And I talked to one of the guys just after this last tournament. And then he's like, wow. I mean, that is, it's must watch TV. He just is like, it's like butter out there. How he moves, how he passes. You're right. He makes the rest of the team better. The other players on the team have become better because he's not only is a great goal scorer, but his passing and his weaving and getting the ball up the field is just, it's masterful. He's definitely the goat, obviously. And uh, yeah, it, if he's on, I'm watching. And you're right, Apple is killing it. The 4K, the picture looks great. The announcing crew they have, they've got a ton of cameras. They've got the drone flying over. They've got so much stuff coverage-wise. It's beautiful. I love watching soccer on Apple. And the shows on Apple, too, are beautiful. So I think I'm all up for Apple buying ESPN because I think that would just be a great jump because they obviously are doing well with sports and uh, it'd be fun to see. But yeah, Messi is must-watch TV. He's so fun and he's changing the, uh, the MLS for sure. Well, and I've got some friends with Natural SC. That was a heartbreaking loss for them, but what a great job they did with hosting that. I mean, when you have Messi coming to play at your stadium now, the media crush from around the world is huge. So, you know, you've got so many more media to accommodate with credentials and requests. And, um, you know, it was Super Bowl-esque. And again, I'm not a huge MLS watcher, but Messi is must-see TV, like you said. And, you know, now that he's in this league, I'll probably watch all of his matches. And they have, like, four feeds. They've got, like, the English feed, the Spanish feed, the home team feed, the away team feed. I mean, I really love all of the different offerings that they give you when you want to watch a messy match. And like you said, all kinds of different camera angles and drone coverage. And um, I just thought it was really well done. So I'm not going to say I've changed my opinion of Apple doing live sports, but it's enhanced my opinion. And, you know, again, this is a trillion dollar company. So if anyone can throw resources at either acquiring ESPN and enhancing that, or <laughs> heck, if they decided they wanted to take on an ESPN, they could do that. That would be kind of silly, though, because ESPN already has the live rights deals to all of these different sports. So just acquire them and inherit all those live rights deals. But it's going to be interesting to watch. All right. Coming up next, one of the most powerful media executives in the world, Greg Maffei, the president and CEO of Liberty Media. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. 5G is here. Is your stadium ready? From an immersive fan experience to efficient game day operations, 5G is transforming sports and entertainment. If you're ready to jumpstart your 5G transformation, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is one of the largest operators of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They provide stadiums and arenas with state-of-the-art 5G networks and support teams across the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, and NCAA. I'm constantly interacting with sports executives, and the reason they love working with Boingo is because Boingo manages 5G and Wi-Fi networks end-to-end, offloading very stretched IT teams. Whether your stadium is looking to support mobile ticketing, cashless payment, or connected operations, Boingo has you covered. But don't just take it from me. Their customers include world-class venues like Soldier Field, State Farm Arena, Petco Park, and University of Louisville. 
Boingo and 5G. Now that's what I call a win-win. For a limited time, Boingo has a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. They're offering a free 5G assessment for your stadium or arena. To get started, simply email sbradio at boingo.com and mention this podcast. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Greg Maffei. He's the president and CEO of Liberty Media. Liberty Media Corporation operates and owns interests in a broad range of media communications and entertainment businesses, including Sirius XM, F1, Live Nation, and the Atlanta Braves. Greg, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. All right. So I'm going to start with a question that everyone asks me, like I know what the answer is. You know what the answer is. How has the Netflix series Drive to Survive impacted F1? Because it seems like it's really increased interest in F1. Absolutely. And uh, when we bought F1, one of the goals was to try and change the narrative from a little bit about the cars, not that the cars and the technology aren't amazing, but emphasizing and saying, look, there are stories here about the racing, about the humans behind the racing, about the drivers that are fascinating and multifaceted. And Sean Bratches, my only claim is the help here is I hired Sean, at least helped hire Sean, <laughs> um, was the one who really thought, let's go to Netflix and throw the idea. You know, they say success has many fathers. He's probably the most important father. And uh, Netflix has been an, an enormous change, game changer, opening up the, the, all those backstories on what's going on racing, what's going on in the, in the paddock, what's happening in the cars, what are the drivers like, uh, that's just changed the game. I would know, you can't say that's the only thing that's changed the game sure. because we've done a ton of other things around opening up social media. Prior to our purchase, the drivers were not allowed to be on social media. That's crazy. Totally changed. It's crazy. We totally changed that game. And now, you know, Lewis Hamilton has three times as many followers on Instagram as Tom Brady. Um, room to grow, not quite to the, uh, the messy level yet, but, um, and, you know, putting them out on Twitch, playing video games against people, just saying, look, there are drivers here and there is a story here across many, um, many formats has been a huge change. Yeah. Well done. I mean, it's been incredible to see the growth. Uh, let's talk about the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, it is November 16th to 18th. I was recently passing through Las Vegas. I saw all the work that is being done to prepare for the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It is an, just an incredible undertaking. I've been to Vegas many, many times. And to see how the strip in that area is being reshaped for this event is really Incredible. Why was Las Vegas chosen for this race? First, I want to apologize to the citizens of Las Vegas for what we were doing to their roads for a little period here, but I uh, hope it's worthwhile for everybody. But Las Vegas was chosen for what Las Vegas first and foremost is. It's the, uh, many ways the entertainment capital of the United States, and it's evolved more and more to being one of the sports capitals. You know, they've added four professional teams in the last five years. Uh, they wanted to grow their international focus. And we have the benefit of an international audience. And 
they're a place that can accommodate huge, large, live-scale events better, better than almost any other city. Now, you're basically starting this from scratch in Las Vegas. Again, building the course, the paddocks, redoing the streets. Um, it's really an incredible thing to see. How has that process gone? Maybe for our listeners who haven't been intimately involved with the timeline of how it's going and when it started, you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. We really began this maybe two and a half years ago. And enormous permitting process and getting buy-in from all of the many important, you know, entrants in the market, whether it be government officials or our partners in the hotels and the casinos, MGM, Wynn, Caesars, uh, you know, the elite ones, uh, you know, really pulling together and getting all the people buying. And then we've gone out to spec a track that will be down the strip and up to Cobol and around the sphere and back down to the strip. And then we've had to build a paddock building and which is, um, it's a thousand feet long, a hundred feet wide and three stories with a roof access. So it's a huge building. We'll have $600 million invested between land and the building in Vegas. So we are making an enormous commitment to this race. It's about 85% complete. Uh, um, the paving is in progress with the final work to be expected in early October and there's a lot of work that's been done, but there's still a lot to get done in the next several weeks. And explain to our audience, just for clarification, it's my understanding uh, F1's deal with ESPN runs through 2025 and this commitment to Las Vegas, like you're not just building it for one year. This is a multi-year commitment to doing this Las Vegas Grand Prix in Las Vegas. We have contracted for three, but really the expectation is and how the contracts work that will be there at least 10. Yeah. We're putting $600 million in the ground. It's right. going to take a few years to, to pay for that. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to just do this for, for one year, but many people are saying this is going to be the premier sporting event of 2023. Like more oh, than shucks. the Super Bowl, more than World Cup. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty incredible statement. Well, we'll have over 100,000 fans uh, for the race hand across the uh, per day, uh, including, you know, uh, a huge high-end experience, including, uh, you know, amazing acts. I mean, it, it, it will be bigger than the Super Bowl just because of the length and the scale. Yeah, maybe you can discuss that a little bit more, the different zones. You know, it's more than just the racetrack. Like you said, there's going to be entertainment. There's different uh, entertainment zones. There's inclusive food and beverage, that kind of stuff as well. So, yeah, just to put this in perspective, Joe, it's, it's, uh, it is a race of 50 laps across a just under four mile track, uh, with three main straights and 17 turns that'll have a, over 105,000 people per day. But it's a lot more than that because there are zones across the circuit, including a T-Mobile zone at the Sphere, the Brandon Sphere, which I'm sure most of your audience has heard of. There are grandsons and probably Bellagio Fountains, uh, uh they'll be Entertainment across all the weekend, uh, Jay Balvin, Kyle Minogue, Mark Ronson, Mark Major Lazar, and much more that are going to still be announced. Um, there's food by Wolfgang Puck catering. There's, there's just a, it's a massive undertaking across a huge scale of opportunity and lots of different zones and lots of different ways we're going to try and make it exciting for fans. Explain to me, uh, I've seen all of these 
inclusive packages. You can get your hotel, you can get your tickets, you can get, you know, everything to come for those couple of days and, and walk the Grand Prix. Is that something that you and F1 are in charge of, or is that farmed out to another company? Or is that something that the hotels and, and casinos there on the strip can offer to their guests? A little bit of everything. We are, you can buy tickets direct from us. Uh, we had waves of sales uh, where we've done that. Uh, there are uh, partners who package experiences and hospitality and, um, you know, uh, things like F1 experiences where you can get a hot lap around the track or you can get a tour of a garage or you can eat dinner on the track one night uh, or a, a meal when the track is not open. Um, and then there are efforts that are led by the, our casino and hotel partners who have bought tickets, done sponsorship, and are wrapping their own uh, experiences around that as well. So there's a host of ways to, to come. And uh, there's still a limited number, number of tickets available. We've had massive demand, but um, there are still ways to get there. I know that something of this magnitude involves a lot of politics with permits and dealing with local government officials. I can only imagine all of the planning and, and the conversations that had to take place for this. You know, maybe you could just talk about that for a minute, because frankly, just to be able to pull this off with all the different entities that you have to deal with, that's kind of miraculous in and of itself. Um, well, we haven't done it yet, but I hope you're correct. But to get to the stages where we are, look, we are going to shut down the strip for six hours a couple of times. That's an enormous undertaking. Yeah. And it has enormous disruption, not only for uh, individuals, but for the businesses. And we had to bring them in and make them our partners and convince them that the economic impact for Vegas, which is anticipated to be something like $1.2 billion, uh, was beneficial to everybody. And we worked with the county, uh, the Las Vegas Las Vegas Convention Authority, our, our resort partner, to make this street circuit possible. The governor was helpful, both two sets of governors now. Um, so there's a variety of entities involved. And you're right, permitting this to shut down the strip and have this kind of disruption takes a ton of work and it takes a ton of cooperation across many, many groups. And we thank them. The other thing I noted uh, in doing my research for this interview um, is that you've got a female leadership team who's really behind this Las Vegas Grand Prix, CEO, CMO, VP of Event Ops. Uh, a lot of your staff, these are women that are running this. Maybe you could talk about that for a little bit. I have to say it's been a non-issue I mean, in terms of picking up. We picked Alan, uh, Renee Wilm, who's this, who is our, also our general counsel, was uh, named to be the CEO of the like Las Vegas Grand Prix, Emily Fraser, who uh, runs her uh, on the commercial side, Vanessa, who's running the events side. Um, they are powerhouses. Uh, the fact that they're women is uh, maybe a benefit, but it certainly wasn't why they were chosen. They're both, all three of them are great at their jobs. Yeah, that's great. All right, let's go back and talk about the TV coverage. Um, again, one of the things that I think F1 does so well is just the vantage points, you know, inside the car, um, we get to go behind the scenes. I'm assuming we're going to see more of that for this race. And then you've got this just incredible visual of 
the backdrop that is the strip in Las Vegas, which has got to be one of the coolest places in the world to hold a street race. Yeah, I think um, we do have, as you rightly point out, uh, an enormous opportunity when we show a race to uh, give you, let you tune up. And if you go to F1 TV to tune up and choose which view you want and, you know, which drive or which look we have, I think, because of the amount of data we have about what's happening in the cars and what's occurring across the track, we have an enormous information flow, which is given to you on the screen. And I think Sky is our partner who does a hit broadcast, rebroadcast for ESPN in the U.S., does a great job of explaining what's happening, trying to give you background for the, those who want it and, the, and, and more technical information for those who want it that way about what's occurring. But as you rightly pointed, all the vantage points, uh, it's relatively unique in the sport to have this. The other thing is the spectacle, as you also pointed out, of having a night race down the strip. Saturday night in Las Vegas, we will shut the strip down and have an unbelievable spectacle of night racing. And I think uh, we're unbelievably excited. ESPN is excited. And I hope our fans find it uh, as exciting as we do. I've gone to Vegas for years. I can't think of another time where the strip has been shut down for an event. Uh, to my knowledge, it hasn't happened. I mean, that's incredible. Like this, this. Yeah, just in, in that way. Like it's such a, if you've been to Las Vegas, you see how busy the strip is. So imagine shutting it down for six hours for this. It's really incredible. Yeah, yeah. Wait, we hope we make it worthwhile for Las Vegas. We're, we're confident we will. I'm sure you will. All right. I'm interested in when you get to Las Vegas, what's your schedule? What are you going to be doing? Um, I have Peter O'Reilly on this show every year before Super Bowl. He planned Super Bowl. He tells us like, all right, here's my schedule. And I'm in a command uh, center I, and all this stuff. What are you going to be doing? I'll try and make stops at a lot of these concerts. There will even be business meetings, even in the middle of this. You know, one thing that's somewhat unique about F1 is it's a traveling uh, business. And Stefano Domenicali, who runs it, and when I show up, we are in meetings quite often uh, with our partners, whether they be other promoters of cities around the world. And we'll be trying to showcase to them what we're doing because as valuable as this are for us, we're here, we're the promoter, which is a relatively unusual role. We're doing on the ground work. We're going to want to be showcasing this and hopefully making it a sh something that our other partners who have the other 23 events around the world can learn from. So we'll be working with them. Sponsors, um, you know, many of our lead sponsors will be there. All of them will have some kind of presence. And you'll meet and talk about ways that we can do more and showcase what this can do for them. Um, I will be uh, meeting with, there will surely be other cities which want to participate. There'll be, uh, um, you know, we are lucky there'll be uh, celebs who want to come by and, you know, and press the flesh. Uh, I will be busy. I'm, my, uh, uh, I'm trying to get a hotel room, which is as close as possible to this little thing called the Chairman's Club, where I'll be for a lot of it, so. <laughs> That's amazing. You're going to have a busy few days, but how exciting. Yes. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Hi, Brian Berger here from Sports Business Radio. Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio and the fastest growing fantasy app. Underdog is a variety of daily and season-long fantasy games that you can play. Best Ball Mania has $15 million in pool prize money, and first place wins $3 million. You can play as many entries as you want, and once you draft your team, you sit back and enjoy. No lineup change is needed. 
An underdog pulls your best performers and gives you those points. You never have to worry about leaving the wrong player on the bench again. Griggs and I will have our teams drafted for the upcoming NFL season, and this is a great way to enjoy all the upside of fantasy football without having to worry about maintaining your lineup each week. For daily fantasy, I love playing Pick'em and Rivals. With Pick'em, if I get five picks right, I can win 20 times my money. It's a fun way to do over-unders on player stats as well as pit players against each other. We've got a special offer for sports business radio listeners. New users get up to $100 matched on their first deposit when they use the code SBR, like sports business radio. SBR is the code to use. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com or in your app store and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. Also, make sure to listen to my conversation on Sports Business Radio with Underdog Fantasy founder and co-CEO Jeremy Levine. He shares the unique story of how he founded Underdog Fantasy, and he has great insight into the future of daily fantasy and sports betting. Thanks to Underdog Fantasy for being the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Are there cities on your list? I mean, you know, people have talked about doing something like this in Las Vegas for a long time. Are there cities on your list where you're like, wow, we'd love to replicate this in that city? Yeah, yeah, we're blessed with probably a list of, I don't know, 30 or so cities which are trying to do a, uh, a, uh, have a Formula One race. And some of them are unbelievably exciting. Like we're imagining having one in South Africa. Wow. Or, uh, other places around the world. If you think about it, really, you know, you, there are intersection of three circles. Who wants a race? Who can really handle a race? What city can handle a race? New York City has said, we'd love to have a race. And we look and go, it's just not even practical. It's just to think about how to pull that off and the politics of making it happen. And then a third circle would be who can afford it, who can really build it up and make it economically viable for them and for us. And really trying to think about that Venn diagram, the intersection of those three circles, that's the group we're really concentrating on. Yeah, that makes total sense. I want to go back to what you said uh, a couple minutes ago, just about the business model of F1. Um, you don't own the cars. You don't own the tracks. Can you explain to people what the business model of F1 is? How do you come in? How does F1 come in and do something like you're doing in Las Vegas? Right. So the uh, our regulator, the FIA, the Federation International Automobile, has given us the exclusive rights to this world championship for 100 years and under the moniker F1. And we have organized the 10 teams, 20 cars that, um, that really we have a rev split with them. We collect all the TV revenue. We work with promoters and, uh, they generally take on the ticketing risk. Um, we get revenue from that and we get revenue from our advertising and sponsorship. We have 10 global partners, people like Heineken and Rolex and DHL and Salesforce collect revenue from them. We also have some other, some ancillary revenue streams we take in, like hospitality, like um, freight. We actually own and package all of the cars and garages for all of the teams. Wow. Rather than having 10 teams do it individually, we do it uniformly for all 10, move everything to 24 races around the world. That's relatively easier in Europe when we're driving around relatively short distances. That gets a lot harder when you talk about flyaway races to Australia or Brazil or China. Um 
package up all that revenue, take out all those expense, and we split with the teams on a rev share basis on, um, and the teams get paid out. The 10 teams get paid out based on some historical performance issues, but mostly on their current team performance. And that's the business model. They also have their own revenue streams, the teams, in addition to the money we give them, in that they do their own advertising and sponsorship. So you'll look on a car and Red Bull will have Oracle and Mercedes will have Petronas and they'll have their own uh, you know, ways that they're getting compensated in addition. Wow. Thanks for explaining that because I think a lot of people don't quite understand what the business model is. All right. I want to spend a few minutes talking with you about the Atlanta Braves because this is another thing that's exciting, but I think some people are confused because used to be, I think, Liberty Media and the Atlanta Braves were together, at least uh, on the stock exchange, and now they've split and they're two separate stocks, as I understand it. Can you explain it for me and our listeners? Yeah. What just happened here with the Braves and Liberty Media? In, in a way, not so much. It, it has happened. We have uh, an unusual structure called the tracking stock structure, where we cut up our businesses and investors can invest and effectively in the direct entity and subsidiary, but it's a dotted line that they're investing. What we did is we made that dotted line a hard line. We spun off the Braves, didn't change really the management structure. Terry McGurk is still the CEO. Alex Anthopoulos still runs the baseball operations. Derek Schiller and Mike Plant run, you know, uh, what happens off the field with business side and the real estate side. And I'm still the chairman of the holding company. That's now just spun out. And instead of it being a tracking stock inside of Liberty Media, it's Atlanta Braves holding, which is its own stock. And so um, if you liked it before as a tracking stock, you can only like it more shareholders than owning a piece directly at the Braves. That's cool. I mean, I think you can invest in F1 too, right? You can. We have a tracking stock just around F1. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's fun for fans to be able to do that. And the, you know, the Braves stock, I've walked it since it, it hit the market and looks like it's done well. So it's, it's kind of fun to follow. It's done well. And I think, you know, uh, toot our horn for a second. This isn't meant to be a, a, uh, a buy the stock pitch, but the Braves are blessed with, you know, having an unbelievable season. No kidding. Baseball, um, you know, continuing a great track record of Alex Anthopoulos and, and Snit's guidance, you know, and the great young players we have were won five NL East in a row, won the 21 World Series, had eight players in the uh, the all-star game, the entire infield. I mean, we have an unbelievably great setup on the field with a bunch of young players under contract. And then we have a great set of business operations where we have, uh, we built a stadium in Truist, which is one of the newest stadiums and well set up with not only what's there at the stadium, but the battery and development we get around it. So we have a, uh, one of the few, few consistently profitable baseball teams on top of having a great on-jail performance. It's hard not to be pretty excited. I mean, I got to tell you, what Liberty Media has done with F1 and the Atlanta Braves is remarkable. I mean, these are huge business success stories. And I wonder, especially with the Braves, do you think other teams might model after what you've done with the Braves? Um, certain elements are clearly being modeled. You're seeing more and more uh, entertainment built around uh, a stadium like we, like we did with the battery around Truist. I mean, some cases, downtown locations are more difficult to pull that off just in terms of getting enough land. 
On the other hand, there are people who are building enormous ones. Think about what's going on at SoFi in football. Um, you know, there are many people who are trying to do this and replicate it. And it's a great story because uh, these sporting events draw fans and they draw people to businesses. So we've been able to build, as others have try- are trying and are doing, build a community around it where there are mixed-use departments and there's retail and there's actually office buildings and there's a movie theater and there's a concert hall and, you know, all of that built around uh, leveraging the demand. And there are restaurants and of the 10 highest grossing restaurants in Atlanta, three are actually at the Battery. So we have a, we built a real full-time activity center around our stadium. I mean, I think it's more, and I would almost say, you know, all the owners I've talked to on this show, like it's a prerequisite. The days of building a, a stadium that stand alone, um, those are kind of over. You've got to have the ability to develop the real estate around the stadium for the non-game days and for the concerts that may take place there and all the other things that are going on, right? Absolutely. All right. Um, thanks for explaining that, because that was a question that I and, and others had. Something else I wanted to ask you about, because I'm interested in this story too, is I saw that earlier this year, you made an investment in TMRW Sports, which is Tiger Woods and Roy McElroy's new uh, sports media company. I think it's, a lot of people are wondering, like, what is this going to be? What's the future of that company? Why did you invest and what do you envision that future being? I am a small, passive investor, so I certainly can't articulate their story as well. But I'm a golf fan. Okay. I'm a golf participant, obviously not to the level I'd like to be as any of us is. We all, as a game, wasn't always working on it. Um, and uh, I had friends involved. I, I've spoken to the management team. Have uh, I think what they're trying to do to bring golf forward and make it more of a spectacle that can be absorbed in shorter time frames and take advantage of the star power uh, that is in that. Some may be a not exact parallel, but some of the things we've done around Formula One, they're trying to do it in, in uh with what they're doing. And I think it's exciting, but you should have them on to articulate their story way better than I can. Yeah. Well, they're pretty tough to get on. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can help me there. Maybe yeah. I can help. Maybe yeah. I can help. No, it's a great story. And I just love, I mean, one of the things about this show is for almost 20 years now, I've had elite athletes on who want to put their CEO hat on and who get to showcase that, you know, during conversations here. So, I love what they're doing um, and, you know, they're really setting themselves up for post-career whenever that is. And, and like you said, um, they're making golf more accessible for everyone. Um, Live Nation. I mean, you know, gosh, we had the pandemic. Now it, it seems like everything is back and then some. Like there was this pent up uh, demand. People want to be at concerts, they want to be at sporting events, they want to be at F1 races. Are you seeing that as well? Absolutely. Um, by any metric, uh, the business is up dramatically. And you've seen not only that pent up demand, as you mentioned, that's opened up when we can only spend on physical goods during the pandemic and suddenly after the pandemic experiences became a huge win. And we feel that, by the way, at the Braves and Columbia One as well but no one has dealt to more than concerts. And the business has fundamentally reached the new, seemingly new plateau, a uh, new level um, where artists are touring and the demand is enormous. Uh, 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 fans want to get out. Um, so uh, it's very exciting. 
Yeah, that's great stuff. Greg Maffei, president and CEO of Liberty Media. Best of luck with the Las Vegas Grand Prix. The Atlanta Braves, who look like they're tracking pretty darn well towards a, a World Series. Um, you've got lots of great stuff going on. Good luck with your, your golf outing in Las Vegas. And thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you, the listening audience. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's nothing common about you. Not your talent, your drive, your achievements, or even your challenges. You need distinctive financial strategies that match your lifestyle and career trajectory. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment was created to address your specific needs at every stage of your career and deliver the financial education and strategies you need to help advance your game plan. They speak the language, they know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. That's morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to the Sports Business Radio team, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and from our friends at CG Sports, CG Young and Nicole Wardle. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.